2: Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis.
3: How was
4: the birthday party? Mm. Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth.
2: It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com.
4: What are you talking about? Mm. Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat?
2: What? GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.
5: Welcome to the Fantasy Football Report, a RotoViz radio news show brought to you by the FFPC. I'm your host, Blair Andrews on Twitter at MITheRealBlair. My co host is Hassan Rahim. You can follow at HR5010. Hassan, how's it going?
4: Uh, what's going on, Blair? Uh, we have made it where uh, we're pretty much in the thick of it. Uh, you know, Hall of Fame game starts uh, shortly, and we're, you know, the, we're right around the corner from the first night of preseason DFS and drafts are kicking off fast and furious. Um, let's get it, man! Last month before we before we get to the season,
5: definitely we actually have some, you know, real football to watch tonight. So yeah, it's an exciting, exciting time to be talking about this news, and I'm especially excited about our guest today joining us on the show is Chris Raybon. Chris is a senior editor for Action Network and Fantasy Labs. Uh, you can also hear him on SiriusXM Fantasy at 10 a.m. every Wednesday through Friday. You can find him on Twitter at Chris Raybon. Chris, thanks for joining us. How's it going? What's going
3: on, folks Thanks for having me on.
5: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, let's just jump right into uh, the first news item. Speaking Tuesday, Bengals coach Zach Taylor said AJ Green will miss some regular season games. And Taylor mentioned that Green should be good to go sometime in the beginning half of the season. So, Chris, how concerned should we be about green's injury and uh what does it what does it do to the Bengals' offensive outlook this season
3: so i think we should be concerned for a couple of reasons number one is you have to read between the lines because it's still august or late july now early august puff piece season as i like to call it um you know you're hearing a lot of these training camp reports and these raves and this and that and you're also you know you're at the point in the season where teams generally Still want to spin everything optimistically. The fan base, they want to keep the fan base optimistic, uh, especially in a situation like Cincinnati where they just overhauled their coaching staff, fired their longtime coach, or, or you know, the, the longtime coach is no longer with the, the team in Marvin Lewis. So they have an incentive to kind of fudge what may be something with a more negative spin and put a more positive spin on it. But reading between the lines, when Zach Taylor says, Hey, uh, we hope to get him back in, sometime in the first half, I mean, the fact that he's framing it in the context of half seasons is highly alarming because now all of a sudden that brings in like, you know, they, they told us green was going to be fine and he wasn't going to need surgery. Then he needed surgery. Like, is this a situation where, uh you know, he ends up like on the IR designated to return or like the, 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 the pup or something like, is he going to miss uh like, are there going to be a number of games knocked off his season before we even get started here? That that's my real question. So it, it's been kind of, Tough to to project him because, you know, you don't know exactly how many games he's gonna play, and it, you know, he's the median has been ten the last three years. He's on the wrong side of thirty now. He played, uh, I think it was ten games in twenty sixteen, uh then he plays sixteen in the next year, but then nine last year. So the median's ten. uh I haven't met ten because I think you know, there's it's not out of the realm of possibility that he re injures himself once he comes back. I think that um it's still a possibility that he might miss some time. So. I am concerned because I, at this point, I just don't know if we can confidently to project green, you know, confidently project green for even 14 games. So I have him around 10. Uh, I did a Twitter poll asking, you know, how many games would he play? Would he be under 10? Would it be 10 to 13? Or would it be 13, you know, more than that? And uh, most people, the majority said under 10. So, um, you know, I thought I was being pretty conservative but uh, with, with the 10 game projection but apparently uh there's people out there that, that are even more concerned so i i do think that um this kind of changes things as far as where you draft him uh you know he's a guy that i i don't really want to touch at this point just because i think you know there's a number of ways to kind of go about it if you just rank him in raw points he drops to about you know my wide receiver 45 if you kind of incorporate you know, what would the value of a, a replacement player be for however many missed games you're projecting? He, he's a little higher, you know, in that kind of, uh, you know, mid-range wide receiver three uh, range. But, you know, I think that kind of overrates the situation a bit, especially with all the risk factors involved in the uncertainty. So he's a guy I'm probably not drafting, and I, I don't know if his ADP will drop far enough, quick enough. For, for me to get any more shares than uh, than I already have. So I, I think it helps mix in a little bit because what you usually see is when a, a top wide receiver or somebody that's doing work at the intermediate to the deep levels of the field goes down, essentially you have less talent, you know, less, less ability to get open in that area of the field. The quarterback ends up having to check down or go off that read more often than not. Because, you know, John Ross not going to get open at the same rate A.J. Green is if, he, if he's even on the field. Uh, and then Alex Erickson, obviously, more of a, a, a little more of an underneath guy. Tyra Boyd, I think it, it's going to kind of raise his floor more than uh, jack up his actual median projections for me, just because if you look at a lot of people have kind of said, hey, Boyd was worse with Green out. And yeah, he produced less um, raw numbers, but a lot of that was just due to volume. If you remember, uh, Andy Dalton missed a lot of the time as well that that Green was out last year. And so uh, they weren't throwing the ball nearly as much with Jeff Driscoll at quarterback. And so Boyd's raw numbers went down. But if you just look at his uh, targets as a percentage of team attempts, it was about uh, 22.2% with Green in and about 22.8% with Green out. So um, tiny, tiny increase, but nothing substantial there. Uh, for Tyler Boyd, I, I do expect him to lead the way and be a, a a high floor kind of wide receiver two wide receiver three borderline guy. But um, I think I think bottom line is this, it's not good for Andy Dalton, and it's not good for the Bengals. And it's definitely not good if you're, if you're looking to draft A.J. Green. I mean, I, I think you have to wait. I would probably want three receivers, like three starting receivers before I touch A.J. Green. I, I don't necessarily buy into the, uh, you know, with the value of a bench player theory just because. We don't know exactly how long, and you're also mortgaging a roster spot um, on Green, which which just kind of knocks down your your the value of all your other spots in your lineup if you're going to use that theory. So it's complicated, but uh, Green's a stay away for me.
4: I just want to back up on on a statement that you made. You know where where like Zach Taylor came out. He was like, um, oh, he's fine. Then he's like, you need surgery. Just that sort of uh, you know playing coy with injury disclosure, and you know considering that Zach Taylor. <laughs> was on the Rams last year and uh, we know Sean McVay loves to play with the injury, you know, disclosures. Um, I'm really hoping this isn't a sort of a cultural thing in that, um, you know, it's not necessarily just for for like a, from like a fantasy player purposes, but also just from, you know, it's uh, just a bit too much to be playing this fast and loose with the rules a little ahead of time, you know, Chris, it just out of curiosity, is this sort of something you might be tracking just as a for you know in-season awareness to where this could actually impact our start sit decisions, or am oh, yeah. I am I looking too much into it?
3: No, no. I think that was a great question because I actually am working on a big project. Uh, not sure exactly when the release date will be, but uh, hoping to get it out you know sometime before week one, um, where I, I go back and look at. You know, all injuries over the last number of years and um, the different uh, tags and and how that impacts their likelihood to play and, and how much they produce on the field versus when they're when they're not injured. Um, and also football outsiders does something where they just I think it's uh, called adjusted games lost, where they give some data on for each team, how often they're they're questionables and uh, play. Um and, and versus the league average and, and whatnot things like that because different teams treat it different ways. You know there are some teams where when a guy is questionable, you know he, he's only playing like 50% of the time or, or or 33% of the time. Whereas other teams they almost always play when there was the questionable. So uh, these teams really do vary in their injury reporting, and you have so you have to you can't just take uh, you know these injuries as a blanket statement. Even once you get into the season with the injury tags, like questionable could mean different things depending on the coach. And the culture as you alluded to so it's definitely worth tracking and looking into and and paying attention to but the bottom line is they're incentivized these these coaches are incentivized to not disclose uh negative information uh, if because it's probably going i mean even if aj green was going to gut it out uh you know would you really want to say his ankles really messed up and because that just puts a target on when he's on the field so either way you you always probably are going to be incentivized as a franchise as a coach to say a guy is not as injured as he really is until after the season and and, and then you say hey you know i i I struggled but i I was playing with with a bum ankle all year or something like that you always hear those those kind of things after the year but 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 before the year exact opposite
5: yeah that's a great point and i think um when you consider that along with uh, the point you made about Taylor now thinking of the season in terms of two different halves, it almost makes you really think Green could miss half the season. I mean, even though this is kind of, you know, it sounds optimistic, he'll be back sometime in the beginning half, but, I mean, given what we know about, um, you know, coaches wanting to disclose negative information, and maybe Taylor might not even be, uh, he might be doing that even more than most coaches would, um, oh, absolutely. He wants yeah, to please. So. I mean,
3: he's a new coach. He's this is his first head coaching job. New city. Um, it, this is a star player. He isn't. He doesn't want to be the me- the me- like. You don't. You do You're not supposed to shoot the messenger, but he doesn't want to be that messenger for, for their marquee player. I mean, they, you know what? You say AJ Green's going to be out. You're already essentially alluding to the fact that he's going to miss games. You know why they don't want to say he's going to miss games? Because that involves the home opener. A home opener involves selling tickets to like it, it's just one whole big thing where they're incentivized to put the most positive spin on it where even if that's uh, essentially false
5: yeah yeah and that makes perfect sense I mean for all those reasons I think I agree Green is pretty much uh, an avoid for me altogether um, I wonder you mentioned it raises Boyd's floor a little he's going in it looks like the sixth round in FFPC drafts are you uh, drafting him any earlier than he had been going before or do you think Green being out just is such a negative for the offense overall that it doesn't change his outlook that much.
3: Yeah. It doesn't really change it that much in terms of the median, which is generally when you, when you're doing your your projections and your rankings is what you're kind of um, focusing on a little bit more, uh, especially with picks, you know, still, you know, in the, in those kind of earlier to middle rounds. So uh, he's not, it's not going to change. I would draft him at cost. I wouldn't draft him too much earlier. Um, If he fell to me, I'd be happy. But yeah, the bottom line is I think, an increased target share, even though we didn't really see that last year by more than, I think it was just a, like a little over half of a percent increase. Uh, Even if we see a little bit more of an increase in target share, the same thing as last year could happen where, because uh, green is not in the lineup, they're just throwing the football uh, less. Remember, they're also suffering through uh, myriad offensive line issues and injuries and whatnot. So uh, the defense could be bad, which is the one thing that could, could kind of even that out and offset that to a degree. But I think you will see a more run-heavy approach if if you don't have A.J. Green in the lineup. And, of course, Tyler Eifert probably going down in week two. And, <laughs> uh, you know, John Ross already, already dinged up. So if you don't have the guys to throw to, you don't throw.
4: So NFL Network's Jane Slater reports that the Cowboys and holdout Ezekiel Elliott are just not close to an extension right now. Um, You know, Chris, what is the timeline for this dispute to get resolved? Uh, Do you think uh, Zeke will be back for the start of the regular season? Or do you think he misses some games? And uh, how do you think uh, the offense might function in the event that he does? Um, Also, just a quick apology. Uh, We uh, heard from a, uh, you know, uh, an engaged listener that uh, I made a Couple of errors when I was we were discussing this with Ben Gratch. I did not know that uh, Zeke's option has been exercised, and uh, I wasn't uh, particularly clear on uh, you know how many accrued season he has, or you know what the Dallas Cowboys' is um, uh, uh, you know plans would be because uh, you know maybe maybe Zeke does hold out for a little bit. So we've got Chris on to help me out here because um, he's a genius like that. So Chris, what are your thoughts? <laughs>
3: Yeah, so the thing, the 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 thing why Zeke wouldn't want to hold out is because he would uh, accrue fines. He would incur fines. So I think he can be fined. I believe it's forty thousand a day, uh, for every day that he holds out. So that's the reason why he wouldn't want to drag this thing on. That being said, I ha- I did go and look back at all the you know running back holdouts since the merge- No, since they started playing sixteen game seasons in uh, nineteen seventy eight. Uh, you don't you don't have a big sample size. About uh, a little over a dozen. Think about sixteen or so. Uh, holdouts, uh, or contract dispute situations. And the median games missed due to that holdout or dispute is still zero. Um, there are a couple of guys like a bell, uh, Bo Jackson is a rookie year. I believe it was that they just, they, they just essentially held out for the entire season or, or didn't sign for the entire season. Um, and so that kind of j- jacks up the average a bit, but the most likely outcome is that he's not going to miss games. Um, they're about, uh, 20% of, of running back holdouts. Did miss games, but they they usually missed uh, in that one to five game range, usually no more than two. Now, the the one thing was that a lot of the backs that um, held out in the preseason and in camp and whatnot, and then signed, uh, they tended to get injured more than even a normal running back would. So you had these guys getting injured uh, and missing more games, about 30% more games. Now, again, small sample size, but 30 more games, 30% more games due to injury uh, than, than running backs who didn't. Hold out. so then just your average running back so that's something that i think is interesting particularly with melvin gordon i think he maybe even more than zeke because he has struggled with with injuries uh throughout his career um hasn't played a full season lately so uh, i think zeke if he's in there he'll be fine i, I think I, i'm still i still think the, that he gets that, that they get a deal done but um i, I am knocking off about a, a game off his games played projection As kind of like a a counterbalance, you know, for some, you know, just to to be a little bit more conservative with these things. And because I do think there is some validity to saying, hey, you know, if I'm drafting in that top four um, and there's a tier of four guys or some people would put David Johnson in that tier to make it five. um, Why take Zeke before the others if he's the one guy with with a much lower floor because he could miss games? So I, I think. That's what you have to kind of pay attention to, but I I do think that they get a deal done. I think it's a little more likely than than the Melvin Gordon situation, where I think both sides kind of understand the other and and no, and neither one is really willing to budge. Where in this one, I think, yeah, they're still far out in talks. Uh, You know, the 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 Cowboys are being defiant, but ultimately, I think they I think they would like to get a deal done. Now, maybe they shouldn't, um, because we know that quarterback position more important and you know even the wide receiver position the passing game is more important so i I do understand why they're prioritizing other things they've built around that offensive line for this exact uh luxury so that they have the luxury of if their star running back wants money, they can say, hey, you know what? We're going to sign Alfred Morris off the street and give him 16 carries a game because that's what they did a couple years ago when Zeke was suspended. They gave Morris 16 and a half carries per game. He also caught just over a pass a game. So he's getting about 17 and a half touches per game. I think they're comfortable going back to that uh, if they need to.
5: Yeah, that's interesting. I've kind of been thinking about this situation, comparing it with the Melvin Gordon situation, thinking the Cowboys would be maybe more likely to capitulate because they are not it wouldn't seem to be as comfortable with the backs they have behind Zeke as uh as the uh Chargers maybe are you know we saw Eckler come in and Justin Jackson come in last season and do pretty well but um so yeah it's interesting that you say the Cowboys actually might be okay just signing Alfred Morris and giving him a lot of carries that's uh something I hadn't really thought about but um
3: oh yeah I think they're absolutely comfortable like Uh, I think that's why they signed Morris. You know, before Mm -hmm. they signed Morris, I don't think they were comfortable with just, uh, of course, you know, the rookie Mike Weber, the rookie Tony Pollard, and then a couple second year guys, Jordan Chun and and Darius Jackson behind Zeke. But but with a veteran and that offensive line that they feel that they have, you know, used prime draft capital to, to, to build up for this exact reason. I believe they are very comfortable. That's why they went out and got Morris. They, you know, teams kind of signal what they're thinking. You can, if you kind of just pay attention and read between the lines. Um, and, and I think, you know, to, to go back to your other question about just, um, you know, I think Tony Pollard will be involved on passing downs. Uh, you know, just in, even if Zeke signs, just to give him kind of a breather. Um, if Morris is a guy, I think you just even more Pollard because Morris uh, is not a very good pass catcher at all. Um, probably won't catch more than a ball a game, if that.
4: Yeah. The one thing that the listener and his name, if you guys want to go follow him, is uh, at Mr. Patrick one. He sort of mentioned that the first three games that uh, that Dallas has is uh, they host the Giants and they're at Washington and then it's Miami. Right. So it's, uh, you know, at worst, probably three where like the Cowboys feel comfortable, you know, sort of staring down. Uh I don't know how you feel about that, but I do agree about the Pollard uh, the stuff because Pollard's prospect profile and why he's listed as a running back is more stilted to that of a, of a wide receiver. So, you know, just out mm-hmm. of curiosity, you know, do you think this is going to be similar to that, uh, you know, 1993 Emmett holdout side just where like neither sides are willing to budge? Um, and I had a, a question because I was, uh, I, I overheard, you know, I, I heard Sean Corner on, on your podcast mentioned that like uh, he's, monitoring august 6th as a a drop dead date here for zeke before you know you know doing anything too averse in his uh, in his projection so you know do you mind just like running me through that and 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 what what's the story behind that
3: yeah um you know so well well yeah power why is 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 kind of a wide receiver hybrid kind of guy but um you know with zeke and it's it's just you don't want to you know game projecting games played is always is kind of a tough thing and again you know zeke is incurring fines um, and and, and um, I think there was a what is there? There's a roster. There's a no, there's you get fined more, I believe, for, for like preseason games missed than just like normal holdout days. Right. So I think you get like four forty 40 K a day. For, for, for missing a day each day of camp or whatever but you get fined i think somewhere in the range of like three hundred thousand dollars or something crazy like that for missing a preseason or holding out to a preseason game so um yeah when, when these preseason games start and, and these holdouts continue to drag on you have to start taking the possibility of missed games you know if they're willing to kind of do that in the preseason take the, the, the possibility of missed games uh that more seriously but uh you know i think alfred morris you know, going back to your point about the, the schedule to open the year, you know, hosting the Giants, going to Washington and, and then Miami is those are three of the worst teams in the league. Those are teams that I think the Cowboys would project to be in positive game script against uh, with or without Zeke. Um, So I, I think Morris is a excellent weight flyer that you can still get pretty much for free in any format. Um, if you're in a redraft week. I would suggest, you know, don't draft a kicker, don't draft a defense. And Sean Corner always talks about this too, but don't draft a kicker or defense yet because if you're drafting this early, you don't need to pick one up until like until right before week one. Hold on to a couple extra running backs in those slots. And I think Alfred Morris, I mean, I would use a roster spot on him regardless, but he's a prime candidate for something like that because you end up with Zeke holding out and you have Morris, again, a guy who they felt comfortable giving 16.5 carries per game in the ideal situation uh, for a, a two down back that specializes in running and not pass catching like Morris. So I, I think you have that kind of the perfect schedule for that. Um, so, uh, you could get some sneaky value out of Morris. If, if Zeke's holdout uh, spills over into the regular season, which there's a, a non-zero possibility that it could again, about, about say about 20% chance that, that, it, that it indeed does.
4: Um, uh, sorry. ESPN's Josina Anderson has reported that Melvin Gordon requested a trade last week. Uh, you know, so uh, I guess sorry about the breaking news, but just wanted to get your thoughts on that one. How likely is that one to happen? Because that explains why my e- inbox just exploded with uh, people trying
3: to trade Eckler and Justin Jackson. So you, you said Melvin Gordon is got signed or? No, no, he's requested a trade. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's it's pretty clear that, you know, he doesn't he he doesn't want like, again, th- th- it sounds like they're, they're not going to they both understand each other. Uh, both sides understand each other they respect each other but they're not going to budge you know melvin gordon wants to get paid his money he doesn't want to play out this year on uh, for five you know about five million bucks or so uh and the chargers understand that they don't need to pay a running back the you know what gordon is requesting and they have depth at the position so we'll see where what happens uh they probably they probably are better off just trading him now and you know seeing what they can get in return for him. I'm sure some team will be willing to give up some, uh, you know, it always tends to happen. All you need is one team. Most of these teams are wising up when you start seeing a team like the Cowboys who, you know, notoriously used to kind of just make suboptimal moves. They, they've been a lot sharper over these last few years, kind of building through the lines um, understanding, you know, kind of getting a quarterback diamond in the rough by, by just taking a shot at a mid round guy, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of things that, that that they've kind of improved on. The one criticism I think you could have said was, "Hey, they they drafted this guy Elliot really early." But at least if you if you if you end up not paying him or, or you know, you 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 maximize that pick, but because you you got you got him on the rookie deal versus what would be a higher deal um, for that second contract. So I think teams are wising up. And uh, if, if Gordon requested a trade, I think he probably gets moved because uh, I don't think both sides are going to come to an agreement there.
5: So, if you're in a draft today, what are you doing with these two backs who have kind of uncertain uh, outlooks? I mean, Gordon's ADP has been slipping. Like I saw him go at the end of the third round in a draft I was in today. Um, but Zeke, not so much. So, are you like, is there a point at which Gordon becomes a value? And are you moving Zeke, you know, below some of the first round wide receivers?
3: Yeah, it's tough. I think I, I think I do want to see you know if this holdout maybe maybe wait a, a, about you know that same kind of time frame, uh, Sean was talking about like see if he starts missing any preseason games or whatnot with Zeke uh, with Gordon. It, it's really tough to rank him. Um, I, I I essentially just you know tack on some missed games and 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 see where he he starts to fall. So I think I have him about twelve games. Um, and, and, you know, he is, a, again, it's, it's not only just the, the, the holdout or the potential, it's the, it's the injury risk of these guys when they start missing um, camp and, and, and working out with the team, uh, just tend to be a little more injury prone. But, um, you know, it, it remains to be seen. I think the, the couple of places that have been floated as potential destinations are Tampa Bay and, and Houston that I've heard. Both of those spots, I think, are pretty good in terms of the offense. Like, I think you feel comfortable with the offense that he, he would be going into now. Um, you still wonder in Houston, especially like, is Gordon kind of in a similar situation to, to the Chargers where he's the lead back, but like how, off, how much is Miller involved then if Gordon's there? So um, you still have some question marks as far as workload. So I think you do have to kind of ding him as far as workload is concerned, but there does, there does become a point where I think he is a value. I think if he's starting to slip about, you know, two rounds below where he was before. So that end of the third, I'm okay with taking him there. I think the one concern is that, still like, let's say the charges don't move him and he holds out and, and he ends up like sitting the season or something crazy like that but um I, I think that risk is relatively low i think they just if they really feel that he's going to do that they would just um they would just try to try to move him
5: all right before we get into no shit shit no let me remind you that you, rotoviz patreon is back for a second season and it's better than ever Patronships start at just $6 a month, and we now offer exclusive access to RotoViz Radio Slack, where you can ask questions and gain league winning advice from many of the podcast and writing team. Uh, patrons also get first dibs on Listener League spots, and in the $9 tier, you get some sweet RotoViz Radio merch at the end of the season. So become a RotoViz Radio patron today to join an exclusive community of listeners, access premium content, and do your part in helping the network to grow and continue to produce high quality, industry leading programming.
4: Yeah, and speaking of exclusives, as a loyal podcast listener, you can get 10% off at roto NFL Pass right now. It's available through the NFL podcast homepage, rotovizcom slash podcast. Gain unlimited access to all of our NFL content and our tools. We've got a whole bunch of new stuff launching. Uh, you get amazing value. You help support the podcast network, and that's rotovizcom slash podcast. Blair, you know some of these tools that are coming out from under the radar. Do you mind uh, speaking about them a little bit?
5: Oh, definitely, yeah. Dave Kaven just released his uh, draft dashboard, which you can use, uh, to do mock drafts. You can also use it while you're in a live draft to kind of help you get all the information you would need while you're in a draft kind of right on one screen. So you can, you can make, uh, educated picks. And then, uh, we also have the projection machine dropping probably hopefully in the next few days. So definitely want to look out for that, uh, yeah, go check out the draft dashboard. It's really a uh, helpful tool when you're in the middle of a draft or to or to do some mocks and uh, get a sense of of uh, what kind of teams you can build. All right, now let's get into No Shit Shit No. First item, the Saints signed wide receiver Michael Thomas to a five-year $100 million extension through 2024.
1: Right now at T-Mobile, get an awesome iPhone XR on us when you bring your family over and trade in your old device. Because whether you have mom, dad, or a friend on your mind, it's a gift so bold and brilliant, you'll want to keep it for yourself. Most importantly, it's on us in six vibrant colors. Plus, with unlimited everything from T-Mobile, the awesome iPhone XR will have everyone snapping, streaming, and sharing to their heart's content all year long. But don't wait. It's only for a limited time. So visit a store or call 1-800-T-Mobile and get iPhone 10R on us. Congested customers using more than 50 gigs per month may notice reduced speeds due to prioritization. Video at 480p via 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers plus tax. Qualifying trade, import, and service and finance agreement required. Contact us before canceling our credit stop and remaining balance due. 64 gigs zero down plus 31.25 per month for 24 months. Pre-credit price 749.99. Zero percent APR. One offer per account. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop, and as you lift that first forkful to your mouth you savor the moment to get amazing offers during the mercedes-benz summer event like the 2019 c class sedan and glc suv the perfect recipes of driving performance plus you can enjoy six months of sirius xm all access included the mercedes-benz summer event now serving limited time offers on a
3: select lineup of vehicles offers end september 3rd mercedes-benz the best or nothing I'm going to go with, uh, you know, no shit. I mean, <laughs> this, I think Thomas is becomes even more important because we saw Drew Brees struggle a bit down the stretch. It, it was subtle, but over the last seven games, including the postseason, averaged only 6.77 yards per attempt uh, through six interceptions in those seven games um, and took a lot more sacks, uh, 12 sacks. Not a, not a ton in the grand scheme of things, but a lot more than he'd been taking uh, throughout the, the the first part of his season. So uh, also just watching him notice that the arm strength looked visibly decreased from what, you know, even from what it was, I think, at the start of the year. So, you know, at age 40, wondering if he's wearing down a little or he's just going to wear down by the time you get to, you know, game 17, game 18, if the Saints do make another postseason run. Um, So uh, they really need Michael Thomas, Um, you know, top, you know, shoe in top eight, Top seven fantasy receiver. Uh, I have him at number five in, in PPR, number seven in standard in, in half point. And that's just because I think he's a little more valuable in PPR, where uh, you know, his average up to target's only 7.8. So that's because I think Breeze struggles a bit to get the ball down the field. And Tom is such a good route runner that um they just deploy him on a lot of short and intermediate stuff, even though he he has the the physical tools, I think, to to also um, you know, make hay down the field. But uh, that's just not Breeze's game, I, I don't think, at this point. But they've been a low-volume uh, pass offense. But, but Thomas just gets so much of the target share that it doesn't matter.
4: Speaking on Tuesday, box coach Bruce Arians said he expects a good battle between Ronald Jones and Peyton Barber to emerge as the team's starting running back.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, shit no. Because, listen, Ronald Jones was dismal last year. Average, what was it? 1.9 yards a carry. I know yards per carry is not the most trustable stat, but um, he he just struggled point blank period. I mean, he was a healthy scratch for for a number of games. And, uh, you you know, the bottom line is they don't have much else. So, you know, Peyton Barber is dependable, but he's not going to blow your socks off. He's not, he's not really explosive or anything like that. And so, um Ronald Jones just happens to be the second guy on the depth chart and so of course Bruce Arians is going to kind of play it up a little bit they want to motivate the guy I'm I'm sure it's you know he's probably struggling with some confidence after if not that was a uh, contributing factor to the season he has definitely as a result of the season he had so you know I think you have to again this is the time of year when you have to be positive you are incentivized to be positive to the public as a head coach as a spokesperson of an NFL franchise. So I don't see why they would say anything else, but I wouldn't be surprised if they go turn around and and, um, draft a guy like Melvin Gordon and and Ronald Jones is a healthy scratch again. So uh, not a guy I'm I'm looking to draft at all. Just, I think Peyton Barber is the better back Um, and and that's not because he has better athleticism or anything like that. There's just some guys that are not good running backs. And until I see otherwise, uh, I'm treating Ronald Jones like a bad NFL running back. I think we learned this lesson last year when everyone was kind of drafting him as a borderline RB2 flex option. And look what you look what you got out of it. Now people, yeah, a little further down, but still going. Uh, I think uh, too high in drafts when when you consider you know value at not like the quarterback position that's still on the board or, or tight end or, or even other running backs to to be taking Ronald Jones you know in the top 100 or close to it, uh, just outside it is not smart in my opinion.
5: The Cleveland Plain Dealer reports Antonio Callaway has consistently been part of the second team in training camp.
3: I'm going to say no sh- uh, shit, no, because I-, I think that, you know, I-, I mean, I don't know. It was it wasn't exactly clear. Was it was it, you know, three wide sets as in like Higgins is starting over him? Or is it was it more like in two wide sets with Jarvis Landry? Like, I don't was that was that made clear or?
4: Yeah, it was Richard Higgins is running ahead of okay. uh,
3: of, of him uh, in um three wide. So I think I'm still going, you know, shit, no, because I think Callaway is the more talented player. Um, We tend to see a wide receiver make the biggest jump in production going from year one to year two. Usually see about a 30 percent increase in receptions. Now, I don't think that's in the cards for Callaway with the addition of Beckham, but I think he's more talented than Higgins. Um, and, and I think that he'll be on the field because he serves a, a specific uh, purpose that I don't think Higgins can replicate, which is, you know, he can get down the field, uh, you know, run those fly routes, those, stri- those go routes and, and kind of clear out some space for Jarvis Landry to work underneath because you already know you're going to get uh, a lot of attention on Beckham as, as is. So you have a guy like Call- Callaway out there, I think he can kind of take some, some of that deep uh, defensive attention and, and open things up for for Beckham underneath maybe or but definitely Landry and, and a guy like Najoku. so uh, I, I think you still see Cowley produce it's going to be extremely hard to predict so uh, especially if he's going to be kind of a rotational third receiver so I would only take him in best ball but I do like him in best ball where you can get him almost free uh, I think you'll see a lot of big plays especially with how good Baker Mayfield was I mean we saw Mayfield connect with what was it his Bra- Rashad Perriman was like his wide receiver three four Essentially, kind of that same kind of role. And we saw him connect on quite a few big plays down the stretch, probably parlayed that into another contract and, and a chance to start in Tampa Bay for Perriman. So uh, Baker Mayfield is going to be highly efficient. Uh, I, I still like taking a late round flyer on Antonio Callaway.
4: Mike Jurecki of the Cardinals' official website reports that six-ton wide receiver Keyshawn Johnson has continued to shine through the first week of training camp.
3: Yeah, I'm gonna go no shit with that one. I mean, we knew this guy was a, a very good football player, very good route runner. Maybe uh, not as athletically gifted as some of the guys, you know, that get taken above him. But I, I think that this guy, you know, I'm high. I was high on Isabella. I think that if Johnson continues to shine, there's a chance that Johnson ends up being that that number three guy. I mean, they drafted three receivers. Uh, they uh, in that spread offense under Cliff Kingsbury, they are they are likely at many to probably run a lot of four wide sets. So I think a lot of these guys will be on the field regardless, Isabella, Hakeem Butler, uh, and Keyshawn Johnson, but Keyshawn Johnson might end up, uh, leading that, that quartet of, uh, that, that trio of rookies in targets. So I think you do have to monitor the situation because Arizona expected to be uh, one of the most fast paced teams in the league. So that third receiver spot, especially because they're probably not going to use the tight end as much, uh, in that offense. And of course, Charles Clay, you know, going through some injuries, Ricky sales, Jones, a converted wide receiver, some experience with Kingsbury, but um, hasn't really shown that he's transitioned on a consistent basis, especially after that, that I think was multi-touchdown outburst in like his first real game. Uh, so uh, I think you're going to see a lot of four wide sets and, and that third receiver in Arizona could be very valuable.
5: The Boston Herald considers Patriots wide receiver, Maurice Harris, a 53 man roster lock and believes he would be a starter for the season to begin today.
3: Yeah, I believe it. I mean, let's be honest. Bill Belichick has struggled to the, the one kind of blonde on his resume, struggled to draft wide receivers, spent a first round run to kill Harry, a guy, you know, I, I, I liked a guy. A lot of people, a lot of other smart people I know like. But bottom line is, you know, separation has been an issue for him at times. Uh, he won't be handed anything uh, in New England, especially. Uh, if Tom Brady doesn't trust you, you're not going to play. If you can't separate on your routes, you're not, you know, and, and you know, you're not going to see any targets from Brady. So, I mean, we saw Chris Hogan out there after when he kind of lost his separation skills and he would barely be targeted. So uh, I, I think there are some targets up for grabs in New England after um, Edelman and of course, James White and Harris, you could see him kind of surprise and be uh, a guy that's fantasy relevant especially during bye week fill-in so that's another situation to monitor but I tell you this if I'm if I'm picking between Harry you know going where he's going which is just outside the top 100 or or Harris for free I'm going with Harris for free.
4: Texans' coach Bill O'Brien insists that the competition for the team's number two running back spot is wide open.
3: Yeah, that's that's another one. Uh that's uh I'm gonna go no shit because uh I'm I was never too high on De- Deontay Foreman once he suffered the Achilles injury. I just think that's such a tough injury to come back from that, you know, even if you thought that, you know, Foreman could eventually take over that's the, the number one spot from Lamar Miller, now that he's coming off an Achilles, he could just be a different player. So I, I, I never really bought into that hype. And and I think it's telling that. You know they're kind of saying the number two spot is up for grabs, which means Foreman could fall to number three. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that that's another team you got to look out for in terms of trading for Melvin Gordon and Foreman. Not really a guy I, I own any shares of because I just I just don't really trust that he is a viable um, still still a good football player or a good running back coming off that injury. I mean we, he he was active for for a couple of games last season down the stretch and. I think he got what, what one carry? So that, that kind of tells you where he was at in, in, you know, coming off that injury.
5: Yeah, I think I saw some positive buzz recently for uh, the rookie they just drafted, Higdon. Um, is he someone you might be looking at adding at the, like, you know, in the last round of a draft? Did they, did
3: they draft him? I think he was an undrafted. I think he's a. That's right.
5: You're right. Undrafted. Undrafted, no?
3: Yeah. Yep. Um, so what I'm hearing is that uh, Josh Ferguson the uh, the veteran I think he was on the Colts at one point uh, is in, is a front runner for that number three job uh you know there's Higdon, there's uh who that's, like I think Damari Crockett is there um so they got a few guys no one really stands out no one I'm investing in just a situation I mean I don't even know if you really need to monitor it at this point <laughs> I just think you you go what happens every year we kind of Lamar Miller's that boring pick and uh you know he's gonna probably give you Mid-range to low-end RB2 value once again. So, I just think it's Lamar Miller, and, and don't worry about whatever's going on behind him uh, in West. And in, in, in then if they tra- trade for Melvin Gordon, you, we go from there and kind of figure out you know what Miller's role would be then. But uh, for now, I'm just I, I think if anything, it just solidifies Miller's role more because I think some people were worried that perhaps Foreman could make a run and in, in, in cut into Miller's workload, which I don't think um, is going to happen.
5: ESPN's Cameron Wolf projects a nearly even timeshare between Kenyon Drake and Kalen Balazs.
3: No shit. This was something I did an article at ActionNetwork.com about a month or two ago, kind of when best ball season was still, you know, just kind of us us, us fancy football nerds playing it in like April and May. But um, Balazs was a guy I was targeting. Uh, I thought that he had a very good chance to outplay his ADP, which at that point I think was in like the one nineties. I think he's now in like the one fifties or sixties, but still a value in my opinion, because Kenyon Drake is a guy. He's probably oh, not probably he's the most talented player on offense. And uh, I have no doubt that he'll be featured, uh, but they, he's a really good pass catcher. And so you can use him in a variety of ways. You don't necessarily need to kind of run him into the tackles tackle box 15, 20 times a game. So, you might see something, Drake's role, kind of like a, a supercharged James White, where he's getting more carries than White, not quite as many receptions. But remember, Coach Brian Flores comes from New England. They always used at least two backs, if not three. So, uh, you know, he understands kind of the value of, uh, you know, creating specific roles for these backs, uh, for keeping them fresh. So I think Balazs will be involved. Now, the one thing about it is, uh, you know, as the, he's probably not going to be the passing down back, even though he's a pretty good pass catcher. And I think Miami will be one of the the worst teams in the league, which then kind of, you know, makes it difficult to, to predict for, for Balazs because I think he's going to be volatile. They're going to be games where, you know, if they get behind early in a game, he, he might not get more than than five to seven carries and he might not do anything. He might not get those touchdown chances all, all year, to be honest. But uh, a talented guy and I think worth investing in at his average draft position because, the bottom line is you need that volume first, that running back, and then, and then you worry about you know, who you're going to start in an individual week or whatnot. But you, you need that volume. Nothing replaces that. That's what's most predictive of fantasy scoring. And uh, Bouage is underpriced compared relative to the volume that he is slated to receive.
4: New York Daily News' Manish Mehta believes uh, Greg Dorsch will get every opportunity to be the Jets'
3: primary kick and punt returner. Oh, I mean, that's that's just a DFS preseason DFS moneymaker tip right there. Uh, That's so for preseason DFS tip, you got to pay attention to these buzz guys, especially at wide receiver and especially the guys that are vying for returner spots, because in the preseason with with the coaches, they're not as concerned with depth chart positioning as they are with roster battles. So like a guy like Dorch and, and wide receivers that can also return, they're saying, hey, okay, if this guy can return kicks. We also want to see how he'll do as a receiver, because we might, you know, if we keep him on the roster, he might be part of the active forty-six on game day, since he's going to be a returner, right? So, uh, if a guy like Dorch is in the running, uh, you know, to make the team, and he's in the running for a return job, that means you're probably also giving him a ton of reps at receiver to see what if if he can catch the football and kind of hold his own in that regard. So I love. I'm always looking out for these. receivers and sometimes it's running backs too but uh these players running back or receivers in the preseason who have kind of camp buzz and are in the running for return jobs because to go along with that I think you get additional reps at your position to make sure that if you're active that you can play it well enough so uh, and of course you need volume in DFS as well so uh Greg Dortch will be a guy I am targeting in preseason DFS
5: I love that I wasn't gonna probably play a lot of preseason DFS but now that you told me I can play greg dorch I
3: I <laughs> no i mean pre-season DFS is great like it's i mean especially for people like us who know who greg dorch is in the first place and like care enough about it to bring him up on a podcast <laughs> um we are the exact people that should be playing DFS. I mean, I, it, it's a lot of fun just to kind of – it's like a change of pace. But um, if you know these guys at kind of the back end of the roster competing for spots, uh, guys who, you know, maybe were high on when they came out of school or, you know, in school and, and they went undrafted, this is your chance to kind of play them um, before they fade into relative obscurity.
4: Oh, my God. Dude, Chris Warren, Trenton Shannon.
3: <laughs> Phil, well, Philip Lindsay is a different story,
4: but, like, all these preseason heroes from, like, years past uh, – all right, so here's my question to you then. Is it Luke Falk stacked with Greg
3: Dorch and Deontay Burnett for all the money? I mean, or? I would probably only stack one. One, one one wide receiver. I think this is because it's you, you just don't you're not as certain about the playing time. So it's like when you're stacking multiple receivers to a quarterback, you're probably just hurting yourself. I, pro, I, I think I would rather just choose three receivers from three different teams that I thought, we're going to lead the, their respective team in, 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 in targets, essentially, you know, like get the most playing time. Like, I don't think I would double stack, uh, attaching them to one quarterback. Cause you could have that, you could have one or both of the receivers spending time without the quarterback. You could have the quarterback, you know, just like a whole, a whole bunch of different things that are probably going to end up, you know, hurting you more than helping you. I would just kind of limit it to like one quarterback, one quarterback with, with the path, with one pass catcher per, per uh stack. But I do like stacking the guys, the same guys, those receivers or running backs vying for return jobs, stacking them with the, the defense, because the defense is like the best play you can make in DFS. I mean, all the all the quarterbacks suck. Um, the, the totals are, are like in the 30s and, and the defense is the only team, uh, you know, essential spot, uh, you know, entity that you can roster that's going to play every snap. Right. Or, or every at least, you know, yeah, every snap. So love the defenses and then love stacking them with guys who are going to be returning kicks or punts because you may end up getting that double dip. And on top of that, just the fact that they are returning kicks and punts means they probably get increased reps uh, at their respective position. So that that's my strategy.
5: The Chicago Tribune's Brad Biggs cautions Tariq Cohen might not get as many touches as he has at running back after the additions of David Montgomery and Mike Davis.
3: Yeah, I, I, that's uh, no shit. I mean, I think the you know Cohen it, you had to be a little bit kind of conservative when you're when you're looking to draft him this year just because i think what happens with these receiving types is that you generally want to get them below cost and then fade them when they uh you know the price goes up because they have a really good season because uh you, you know a lot of it you know like we've seen kind of these guys fluctuate like white will have a big year and then a down year or danny woodhead will have a good like i think charles sims was like a top 20 guy one year and then just completely invisible the next so uh cohen is a guy that he was kind of going at that fringe uh, rb2 range for a while i think he's dropped a couple of spots since then um you know to the about that 29 30 range but uh, he's not a guy I want too much of. I, I like the player, but I I do think that Mike, I think Mike Davis is really the value in that backfield because David Montgomery, the fact that he's going with a top 50 pick, I mean, it, to me is ridiculous. Uh, you know, there, there are guys, you know, he's in a three either way. He's in a three man committee. First of all, you know, hasn't necessarily earned anything yet. Yeah. They're high on him, but of course, you're always going to be high on a, a guy you draft in, in the second round, third round day two pick. But, you know, Mike Davis, a guy that essentially they're, they're, they're paying him, uh, I, I believe it nets out to more than they would have paid Howard if they hadn't traded Howard. And uh, Mike Davis, another guy that's basically free in drafts. And, and I, I think that you're going to see both of those guys kind of mix in. So, um, you know, the, the backs that are drafted in Montgomery's range tend to average about 130 targets plus uh, carries in year one. And and for, for Montgomery to pay off that, that cost in the top 50 overall, uh, he would have to... Get about like a hundred more or so touches than than you know your average uh you know back, day two back, and I just don't know if he's going to do that in a three man committee, uh, barring somebody getting injured. So yeah, Cohen probably getting drafted a, a little too high, and uh, and and so is the rookie David Montgomery. I think an interesting stat before we get off Cohen is that he there was a couple games that Mitch Trubisky missed and in two games that Mitch Trubisky missed in those two games, Tariq Cohen averaged nine and a half catches on 11 targets per game for a hundred, 100.5 receiving yards per game. So essentially two missed games without Trubisky highly inflated his stats because in the other 14 games with Trubisky, he was at uh, 3.7 catches for 37.4 yards. Uh, and of course, you know, that's what you're looking for the, the catches because he's not going to get too many carries. So, uh nine and a half catches for hundred one yards in, in two games without Trubisky. Um, I don't I, I don't know if that was just pure chance, but it's something that even more so makes me kind of like be conservative in, in the, the projection and not just kind of blindly take the average from last year and project it to, to twenty nineteen.
5: Yeah, the way this blurb is kind of worded, it almost makes you think like he might not get as many touches as he has at running back. Almost makes yeah, you think I, they I, I might think that's try fair. and work him like, I don't know, out of the slot more or something.
3: Yeah, and I mean that's still not ideal because there's still a lot of there's still a lot of competition for yeah. targets, you know, on, on that team. And I think Allen Robinson is like we're probably underrating him because now he's a year removed from that ACL, entering age 26 season, which is when wide receivers generally peak. So I think Robinson probably going to command uh, targets. And I think you know him if you look at that, you know, he was kind of in and out of the lineup and, and whatnot, but. Um, you know, it, you kind of factor in a, a game that he can have games like the one he had in the postseason, which isn't usually included in in in, in the stats when people are kind of basing their projections off. But, um, you know, he caught I think it was 10 balls against the Eagles and he's going to have a couple of games like that. I think I think his first game against the Packers uh, with Trubisky was was like that. And, and then his last game was like that. So he has tremendous upside uh, and don't discount him being healthy again, because remember how good he was um, when, when he was fully healthy and he's still he's still young and, and should be peaking. So I think he's going to command a lot of targets. Now you, you added, uh, you know, Anthony Miller going into year two. I think, again, usually you see about a 30% jump. Um, and I think that's fair to project for him. That probably comes off uh, out of Tara Gabriel's share. But just a lot of competition for targets even if Cohen is kind of used as a glorified slot receiver. And I don't think you want to pin your hopes on a running back in that range. I think that's the time to kind of pivot. If you haven't gotten a tight end yet, look to uh, a OJ Howard or an Evan Ingram, who uh, both, I think have at least uh, a non-zero chance of jumping into, to that top tier if if everything goes right, or if somebody uh, gets injured or, or a combination of the two. So, you know, Cohen is a guy, I think you could kind of replicate the kind of, usage he's going to get yeah he's probably a little more talented but you can replicate the usage which is 90 percent of the battle at the running back position because you know you're you're talking about the difference between you know 4.1 and 4.3 yards a carry and you know seven and eight nine yards receiving per reception it's not making a huge deal you just need that volume guys like a naeem hines who also has some workload concerns but is is going you know like six, five, six rounds after Cohen. Uh, Chris Thompson, essentially free, still going to be in that third down role. Uh, Gio Bernard, they've talked about him kind of regaining a more prominent role within that offense. And I think it's going to be necessary if, you know, the longer A.J. Green is out, especially because, you know, Eifert probably will never be completely healthy and Ross already banged up. So a lot of these kind of pass catching backs that, Uh, specialists that you can be had for a lot cheaper so you don't need to pin your hopes on a guy like Cohen in in those middle rounds which are still pretty high leverage I think there are better ways to spend uh, a a pick in his uh, ADP range yeah I'm with you on that one if there's one guy that archetype I really want
4: in BPR would probably be James White but that's about it I think Um...
3: yeah and even him it's like he was if I'm not mistaken the cheapest New England running back last year, right? Because uh, Jake Seeley was actually talking about this on the Action Network podcast that that we just dropped today. Um, so go check that out. But, you know, Jake talked about how the best thing to do in the New England backfield seems to be invest in the cheapest piece. I mean, Deion Lewis w- was that guy a couple years ago and, and massive ROI. Uh, then you had James White as that cheapest piece. I mean, Rex Burkhead was the guy going in like the fifth round. And then Michelle was 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 generally being drafted highly as well. So a lot of, you could get White kind of late, and, and he ended up being you know the, the best ROI. So this year I think, I mean I, I'm not opposed to White. I think he's valued pretty, pretty, pretty fairly, if if not even a little underrated, just because his numbers do spike with, with Gronk out. And I think he's that clear number two target. But uh, at the same time, I I think you're much better off waiting and getting a guy that that can you know kind of post similar usage um and you don't have to spend that kind of draft capital um that that's more my concern so I don't ha- I I have a lot more white than Cohen but um generally those archetypes you want to get them and let them kind of produce an outlier season maybe they get more carries than they might you would have expected or they they have good touchdown luck and, and then you know the next year you kind of lay off with somebody else to, to you know take a shot on them and you just find the next guy I mean like Darren Sproles even he's a guy when he's been in the lineup he's getting touches I mean he could he, Darren Sproles and Tariq Cohen could conceivably put up the same production in like there's a non-zero chance that that happens like chris thompson like there's so many guys that 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 could that could kind of put up those numbers white is a little different because i think he's a he's a hot much higher volume guy but but cohen yeah i think you got to fade him and if you want that type of player to just just you can get him after you know outside the top 150
4: you heard the man you
3: gotta go listen to the action network podcast as well
4: um, the Las Vegas Review Journal reports Darren Waller's flashes in the passing game are there early in Raiders' camp.
3: Yeah, uh, another uh, no shit for me. I mean, and with a with a caveat that I mean that in terms of best ball, in terms of if you're in a two tight end league or Superflex, something where you need to draft a second tight end. Obviously, I don't think Waller is in that top twelve discussion um, right now. So. That being said, he's a converted wide receiver. so he does have pass catching chops naturally. Um they won't that that also means you know he won't ever really be tasked with with kind of blocking on passing downs. If he's out there, probably going to be sent on a pass route. and, and that's good because he is essentially operating as that number one tight end. So uh, I think there's some upside there, especially when you consider how it seems to me like you know you kind of surround you try to surround Derek Carr. Uh, over these last year or so, you know, year or two with, 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 you know, good receiving options and, and he seems to go out and target his tight end. I mean, Jared Cook wasn't really, we didn't think of him as a potential, like, you know, top tier tight end uh, until last year when he started producing these outrageous stat lines with Derek Carr. And meanwhile, Amari Cooper is like, you know, getting no love from Carr. And, uh, and then, and then you, you, they, 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 they bring in Jordy Nelson. He's supposed to be a factor. And, and he doesn't really get any love from Carr until it's time to meet his contract incentives. And then Carr just starts peppering him with targets. But uh, Carr seems to be a guy who, who, who will target that tight end position. And, and, and Waller has the athleticism to kind of replicate some of that Jared Cook production. So uh, I, I, the upside doesn't treat me. And he is a guy that I'm going to continue to monitor. I'll be watching him closely uh, to see how he handles his preseason reps. But um, talented guy and a DFS Definitely a guy you want to watch for in, in regular season DFS, because I think, again, Jared Cook was never thought of as like really a, a guy with the kind of upside that he showcased in Gruden's first year in Oakland with, with Derek Carr. So, um, you know, there's an outside shot that, that Waller, given his receiving shots, can kind of replicate that to some degree. Um, you know, you know Tyro Williams worries me a little bit because I like the player, loved him last year as a, as a late pick, was, was drafted everywhere and got some, some good return on investment, at least in best ball. Um, but it worries me. I, like, I don't know how you feel about this, but Derek Carr doesn't like to go down the field. So Tyrell Williams, best, to, I think he's best when he's kind of running you know, down the field. You're usually going to get single coverage. Yeah, he can kind of run those drag routes, those crossing routes too, which I'm assuming is where he'll end up getting most of his targets. But I don't know if he gets those same kind of dr- deep balls dropped in the bucket uh, from Carr the way he did from Phillip Rivers. Yeah, I believe a uh, smart man once said
4: the best backup Raider, uh, quarterback in the NFL is the starting quarterback for the Raiders.
3: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I, I, like, Derek Carr. I mean, what, what, like, I don't know what's going I'm with you. Here. I am with you. <sighs> like, and then, and then Gruden's all shown as well for Peterman, too. I mean, every year it seems like there's a funny quote about Raider quarterbacks. And like, have we heard any praise for Carr yet? Like, why is this? Why is the story out of camp that Peterman is drawing praise? Like, Shouldn't Carr be drawing praise?
5: <laughs> it's pretty bad when when Peterman is getting more praise than than you are. I mean, I'm
3: sure that once the season starts, uh, Antonio Brown will keep will keep us very informed on, on the
5: going <laughs> on and be
3: very vocal. Maybe he'll even Facebook live stream exactly what what the situation is in that quarterback room. So uh, I'll, I'll be staying tuned to that.
5: nj.com reports Miles Sanders has quote looked the part so far in Eagles camp.
3: What does that mean? like that's like i mean i'm gonna go shit no just because like I, I, nothing against sanders it's just that's such an empty statement and again when you draft a guy on day one or day two there is always going to be optimism like there's oh like you, you, the team is always going to like a guy they drafted on day one or day two that is why they drafted him there they spent draft capital on him. uh Reporters are generally going to to think they look good because you have to have an, a certain level of talent to be drafted on day one or day two. So, I'm reading nothing into that. Uh, I, I take I actually think a more important report that kind of kind of got lost in the sauce a little bit after we kind of started hearing the Sanders reports was that uh, Jordan Howard is dominating first team reps because let's be let, if you look back at the history of Peter Doug Peterson, head coach as he's been head coach of the Eagles, he's had he's shown an affinity for these kind of two down grinders uh, you know inner to have a substantial role i mean you had ryan matthews you had well garrett blunt you had jay ajayi you had a lot of these guys that kind of fit that jordan howard mold not necessarily they don't necessarily give you anything as a pass catcher but they uh can run you the football between the tackles and then you just re-signed darren sproles and like i said when sproles has been active even at his advanced age He's been getting touches. I mean, even he I think he got like four carries a game last year. So uh, I don't think they re-signed Sproles, such a respected veteran. I don't think Sproles makes a decision to come back if he's not in short a role on that team. So that that worries me with Sanders because, yeah, Sanders the advantage he gives you is he's good in the passing game. So if Sproles is going to now eat eat up a chunk of those passing down snaps, and Howard is quote unquote dominating first team reps, which is what Doug Peterson has generally done. He's given a, a Howard, like back, those kind of uh, touches that doesn't weave uh, as much as you'd like for Sanders. So I have Sanders uh, at RB 41. Uh, I think that's fair. I see a lot of people have him, you know, in that top 36 or even sometimes in the top 30. Uh, but I think you have to exercise some caution there just because at this point we don't see a clear role for him. I think, you know, I get it a little more in best ball because you think maybe, hey, maybe it evens out over the course of the season. But you know, going into the season, I don't know if you're going to be able to confidently plug him into your flex uh, starting in week one and expect, um, you know, consistent returns
4: hi road of his fans allow me a brief second to tell you all about our good friends over at the ffpc the home of season-long high stakes fantasy football it's been 10 years since the ffpc filled their first dynasty league and they've now grown to the world's largest dynasty league commissioner with leagues about as high as five thousand dollars to enter ffpc leagues are active and competitive and not a single league has ever folded brand new startup dynasty leagues are forming right now starting at 77 dollars and up in standard superflex and best ball formats and uh It's reader of season. So for those of you who are ready for your greatest challenge, take a look at this year's FFPC main event. I know Sean Siegel and Curtis Patrick will be drafting a team at this one. Uh, If you're looking to find out what the main event uh, is, well, it's the world's biggest event for season long fantasy football. And this year it's coming at you with a half a million dollar grand prize and over three point one million dollars in total prizes. Go to Las Vegas for a three-day weekend of live drafts and festivities at Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino, or you can just draft online from the comfort of your home. Main events are scheduled to begin on August 23rd, and they will run through the start of the season, so don't miss out this year, fantasy football fans.
6: plus sales tax and activation fee. $50 plus rate plan required. Not valid for numbers currently on T-Mobile Network or on Metro in past 90 days. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions.
1: They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz summer event. Like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV. The perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event. Now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz. The best or nothing.
5: All right, moving on to regular news item number three. Panthers coach Ron Rivera said the team plans to limit Christian McCaffrey's plays, but not his touches. Uh, Chris, this is kind of an interesting note. Uh, I think last year McCaffrey had close to 100% of snaps in a lot of games um, what are some ways you could see the team limiting his plays but not his touches uh, will he just not be in on on uh, a lot of plays that he's not featured on or uh, how do yeah. you see this working out?
3: I mean yeah like he, he, you just kind of pointed to it I mean I think he came off he, he only missed like 22 snaps so there's a, yeah, there's a point in the season where he just wasn't coming out of games and uh, that's an outlier. I mean, most running backs, even those that we are are near the top of the league in touches, they come out of the game. So yeah, it's just as simple as on a play where, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to get a carry, you know, he doesn't need to necessarily be in there to to pass block or, or, or whatever not. But um, yeah, you just make a little more of an effort to just like any other team would do like a team with the Barkley or Zeke, you know, I mean, they don't play a hundred percent of the snaps. Uh, They they play like in the nineties or the eighties and they still get their 20 plus touches. So uh, it's not really a hard thing to do. It's another one. It's one of those things that's just kind of like non-news almost. Um, I, I don't think, I, I think the Panthers know they need to give McCaffrey the, the ball. And um, this was something I, I talked about before last season when, uh, you know, was kind of still some question as to whether McCaffrey would kind of get the workload necessary to return value. I think he was going around RB 10 or, or something like that, or near the end of the, the first round around that turn. And, and, I, and I went on record as saying, Hey, like I, I'm drafting this guy Um because what I, what I was basing that off of was when he was in college, the last two years, I believe it was like 26. He averaged like 26 touches per game over a, a two year period. So, just because he's a pass catcher doesn't mean he's he's some kind of scat back or some guy that can't handle a heavy workload. I think he'll continue to be fed, uh, you know, in Carolina because he's their he's their best player, their best uh, skill player, I should say.
5: Yeah, I just looked it up using the the uh, our RotoViz usage app. It looks like he had 98 percent of snaps about in Week One, and then he had 100 percent in every game until Week 17.
3: That's absurd. Yeah, that's absurd. Like, that's uh, that's uh, that's like that's malpractice. <laughs> like that is like that is like, considering what we know about this game that we love so much, how tough it is for even a guy that's playing a few snaps a game, um, you know, in terms of the physical toll it takes for, for for you to put your best skill position player out there for 100 percent of the snaps for essentially the entire season. Let's be real. If they're not eliminated in week seventeen, he probably plays hundred percent of the snaps again. So yeah. that's that's absurd. Like, it, it, you better, you be, like, you better be decreasing his snaps. Like, this is one of those situations where I think, as a fantasy owner of McCaffrey, you're actually happy if you're hearing that they're decreasing his snaps because, I mean, yeah, he 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 handled a full workload in, in those last two years at Stanford, and, and and then he and then he his second year in the, as a professional, he plays essentially every snap, I mean, at some point, you know, the luck's going to run out and he's going to suffer an injury. So yeah, you're, I think you're happy. I'm happy to hear that they're reducing his snaps. Please do give that guy a break. Jesus.
5: Yeah. Do you think this gives more value to any of the backup yeah. running backs? Yeah, absolutely not. Because
3: yeah. again, like <laughs> between the lines, they're saying like, hey, we're going to limit his snaps, not his touches. All they're saying is that, you know, when we take him off the field, they'll probably be in a situation where they'll probably put Cam Artis Payne in and he'll stand in the shotgun next to Cam Newton and bang into a linebacker so that Cam can get a ball off to DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel. And that'll be that. Like you just put them in on plays where they're not going to be really used in anything other than like a blocking capacity or something like that. So um, I, I don't think they'll have value. They, they, they've they clearly shown that that they do not have any interest in having any other back, but McCaffrey touch the football. I mean, they signed CJ Anderson who who showed he could be a valuable player and, and a decent player for, for the kind of player he is. And, and they showed they had no interest in that released him in the middle of the season. Didn't even keep him on the roster. Uh, then, you know, they, they go out, they, they spend a, a, a fifth round pick on Jordan Scarlett, but that's exactly what that is. It's a fifth round pick. You use fifth round picks on positions where, yeah, you need an extra, uh, you know, you need extra depth. You need an extra body there, but, it's not something where I'm saying, oh, now now all of a sudden other guys are valuable. Like they, they literally by saying they don't want to decrease his touches, they're literally saying, hey, like we don't we have no interest in giving anyone like I, I, I could see. I mean, if McCaffrey, I mean, McCaffrey was, going, was playing 100 percent of snaps like that, that means there was essentially weeks going by when, when their backup running back wasn't touching the football. So or, or getting on the field. So, I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't even worry about that situation. Yeah. I wonder if that just
4: means that they're going to, you know, they're thinking about Curtis Samuel a little bit more as like <laughs> jet sweeps a little bit, you know, that sort of stuff. But yeah, you know, I have I like no that idea.
3: I like that call. I mean, I think Curtis Samuel is a guy, uh, I talked about this in, in, in kind of my best ball targets article at the beginning of uh, the summer, you know, he was a guy that, you know, they, they made a point to get him the ball even when he was only playing like 30% of the snaps. Like he was playing 30% of the snaps, but he would get like six, four, five, six, seven. Uh, targets plus touches so they clearly have an interest in getting him the ball over any of these these running backs now I think you monitor the situation especially if you're a McCaffrey owner maybe for uh, handcuff purposes but it's possible it's a committee if, if McCaffrey's out because you have Jordan Scarlett you have Cam Lars Payne who's kind of the veteran that's been there and knows Cam and, and knows Ron Rivera and whatnot so unless he gets cut you got to think that he would be involved and then Scarlett's a lot newer do they trust him in pass blocking maybe not Maybe, you know, so, uh, you know, monitor it. If one guy is clearly ahead, you know, he's a good handcuff, but um, absent of that, yeah, I think Samuel, good value at his ADP, a guy I liked, I like targeting. I think, you know, he wasn't even too far behind DJ Moore in terms of receiving production and uh, volume down the stretch over those, well, from week 11 on when they were both playing full-time snaps. So uh, I think Samuel was almost kind of like DJ Moore arbitrage in a way, like, you know, he's the most likely guy to get the ball if it doesn't go to more. And if you, if you get some var- positive variants kind of working in your favor, maybe Moore has a couple of tougher matchups or defense ends up paying more attention to him. Um, you could end up kind of winning, you know, versus whatever owner drafted more at, at like wide receiver 25 or whatever it is versus Samuel at wide receiver 40. You know, Samuel has a decent shot out, out outperforming him kind of like, I think, you know, another low key situation like that is Marvin Jones versus Kenny Galladay. Like, I don't think that there's a much of as much of a disparity as we think when you factor in that Galladay now is looked at as the, the better guy. So he's going to get more attention. That means Jones has the single coverage. Both of those guys tend to run, you know, work in the intermediate to deep level of the field, kind of similar in terms of what routes they can run. So I think it's it's not inconceivable that if a couple of things break right matchup wise and, and both of them stay healthy, that you could see Jones outproduce uh, Galladay.
4: Jordan Reed said his feet are way stronger than last year and he feels more explosive a year removed from surgery. Uh, Chris, Washington's receiver core is one of the tougher ones to figure out for fantasy gamers this season. You know, do you think Reed will see work as like the primary receiver for Washington this year? Or are there any other wideouts or any other receivers on this team that you'd be considering in basketball
3: or, you know, regular waivered hits, starts hit leagues, anything? Yeah, I think Reed will is will be looked at as that primary receiver because I mean when when he's healthy he's a he's a talented guy. Now I think that their injuries have kind of sapped some of the athleticism that kind of set him apart because he is an undersized guy. So um, you know, not quite what he once was in that 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 20 I think it was 2015 season when he, he had the big year with Kirk Cousins. But still a guy that can catch your four balls or, or more a game. Uh, I don't think the yardage will will be the yard per catch will be that high because he's not as explosive, but in the red zone, probably the top option there. So overall, I think he's still that top option as long as he's healthy uh, at receiver, Uh, you know, in terms of pass catches. I think one guy I would pay attention to, well, uh, in best ball, right now is paul richardson because he was a guy that they gave a free agent deal to and i went on record as saying i didn't like the fit last year i think paul richardson the guy that does his best work down the field contested catch situations not necessarily a guy that's going to win on separation alone but you could still kind of trust that you could throw it up to him and he can kind of track the ball down and and go up and make a play on it so uh richardson a guy that didn't fit at all with alex Smith, who didn't actually become a good deep ball passer he just you know it's never it was never about the deep balls with Smith. It was about the, the the windows and how big it is. And Tyreek Hill happened to go deep and create big windows deep with the separation. And so he threw the ball deep to Tyreek Hill and it, it went for big plays because Tyreek Hill is a very good receiver. Um, that didn't happen in Washington because Paul Richardson's a lot closer to the average uh, receiver. But he's still a guy. He's still a guy that, you know, was kind of brought in to be that number one wide out on the on the outside that that number one perimeter guy for them and I, I think he has a much better quarterback for it if we're talking about uh Dwayne Haskins and even Keenum I think is it, better suited to get him the ball than, than a guy like Alex Smith uh Trey Quinn could surprise as well in in a full full point PPR lead because he's uh, essentially had the slot job locked in like the whole offseason and Gruden has continuously reiterated that and you know just think about the, where you would and where we were drafting Jamison Crowder over these last couple of years, where we're drafting him now, I think you easily get that production, that similar production uh, out of Quinn. That, And he might even outproduce Crowder with, the, you know, now being on the Jets because Jets expected to be one of the slowest pace teams in the league with Adam Gase. Uh, if you look at his Dolphins squads over the last few years, did not run a lot of plays. So uh, I, I think Quinn is nice uh, arbitrage in a full point, maybe like a my fantasy league. But in half point where where those kind of yardage and touchdowns means a little more um i'd be looking at paul richardson
5: yeah i really like that call on richardson he was someone i uh was pretty high on going into last season and obviously was a little bit of a disappointment yeah
3: don't let Alex smith fool you man because i think that's what it was it was like (laughs) oh Alex smith is good and, and, and paul richardson was good well of course paul richardson is good when you have russell wilson the king of like pulling something out of his ass um with a downfield throw you know what i mean like and then you go to, to Alex Smith, who essentially is not going to even let the ball go unless the, the guy is wide open. Like, like that was one that I think the, the, the hype surrounding it kind of tricked, tricked some people into kind of believing that this was a good match. But I think this year it's going to be a lot better of a match and you might see a more normalized offense and and, um, and you might see Richardson uh, produce closer to you know kind of a de facto number one receiver I know I, I would still think that Thompson and Reed as long as they're healthy will be more more of the the focal points
5: a few weeks ago we had uh, Rich Rebar on and one of the <laughs> one of the blurbs was Josh Doxon uh, expects to be playing elsewhere next year he doesn't think he'll be in Washington for very long I mean do you think that he's probably uh, done in Washington are you paying any attention to him
3: I mean, after Devontae Parker resigned with the Dolphins, anything's possible. Uh, <laughs> but um, listen, wide receivers tend to make the biggest jump year one to year two. Uh, if that doesn't happen, it's usually year two to year three. If that doesn't happen, the guy usually is what he is. So uh, what I think is that, uh, you know, depending on, you know, Terry McLaren, the rookie and, and what he can do and, you know, if he can kind of play, you know, the opposite of, of Richardson and, you know, kind of. We're in that position and play that and and um you know I think Doxon may be a healthy scratch, like right? a gay, even if he makes a roster, could be a healthy and active this year. Cause remember Dwayne Haskins, if he ends up starting, and we don't even know if that will happen in week one, but Haskins and McLaren played together on Ohio State. And you no, know, that was one of his guys. So uh, I think that there's a, a good chance that if McLaren could kind of play that and role that position in the offense that he could end up starting sooner than later because of that previous connection with Dwayne Haskins where and then and, and Richardson is, is, is solid his spot I, I believe is solidified because again they, they, they brought him in on a big free agent deal he was kind of signed to be that that go-to guy at least amongst the receivers and then uh, you, they, they've said that that Trey Quinn spot in the slot replacing Crowder is locked in so doxon you know if he can't hold down that that job out out wide uh, opposite richardson uh and and hold off mclaren i think there's a good possibility he's just a healthy scratch because he's i believe he doesn't play special teams if i'm not mistaken right no Uh, not at all i mean yeah it doesn't seem like he would so um yeah i wouldn't be surprised if he was just a healthy scratch him and ronald jones
5: (laughs) all right well that'll do it for this edition of the fantasy football report Special thanks to our guest, Chris Raybon. Be sure to follow him on Twitter, at Chris Rabon. Please remember to rate and review the RotoViz Radio channel on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon. For Hassan Rahim, I'm Blair Andrews. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Football Report. Please rate and review the RotoViz Radio podcast channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter, at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, slash podcast.
2: Third. technology truths brought to you by geico technology truth. truth truth teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis
4: how was the birthday party mm. pizza slice kitten soccer ball pineapple
2: truth it's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at geico.com
1: what are you talking about mm. paperclip shoulder shrug high five wizard hat
2: What? Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Whether you're a world-class
6: athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network.